Wrestling should be fun. Should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Hello and welcome to the Wrestling Should Be Fun podcast. I'm your host this week, Ross the Boss Casey. And we are so delighted to have a guest on this week from the world of progress wrestling. It's Costa Constantino. Thank you so much for joining. It's been a hell of a few months for you. How are you? Uh, yeah, I'm good, man. Um, just to correct you, though, it is the Don Costa Constantino. Let's get that right for starters. Let's make sure we get off on the right foot here. I would also accept Detective Costa as... Uh, I don't know if you've heard, but I'm quite the detective. I'm I'm in the middle of a pretty big investigation right now. And uh, yeah, it's going very well. But yeah, I'm good. How are you? Yeah, very well. Thank you. Very well. And apologies to not call you the Don. I shall <laughs> make sure that I uh, say the full name, Don Costa Constantino. <laughs> Throughout this you know what it is? It's just it's just a respect thing, you know. And in, in my line of work, you got you got to show respect where respect is earned and respect is given. And uh, I appreciate you apologising for that. So let's carry on. <laughs> All good. I won't hang up just yet. You haven't. We're not there <laughs> yet. But yeah, we're good. That would have been the shortest wrestling should be fun podcast of all time. <laughs> <laughs> so, without any further ado, I think we should get straight stuck into the world of progress wrestling. Obviously, you've been there for some time. You've been through quite a few chapters. And seemingly, you seem to have turned a bit of a new leaf in progress wrestling, thanks to your alignment with Paul Robinson, which I've read about online, that you've got a friendship that goes way back. And it seems to have maybe given you a bit of a change of attitude in progress wrestling. Is that fair? Um, I'm, I don't know about change of attitude. I'm still, you know, the same guy, but... As far as like my relationship with Robbo goes, yeah, I mean, we've known each other for a very long time. Robbo was one of the first people who, so if we're really going back, like bef- even before like I was ever in progress, myself and Malik were actually around the British wrestling scene as a tag team. And Robbo was part of a team that like, like, he was one of the first people who we got to wrestle basically as a tag team. And it really helped us kind of forge ourselves as a tag team. Um, and then pretty much from then on, we've always always been somewhat close with him and then just as the years went on and on and on we got really close and then the pandemic hit and then we were hanging out quite a bit and yeah and we just became really good friends and formed like a bond like a brotherhood almost and yeah as far as like the way it's changed me I, again I don't think I've changed as such I think it's more just wanting to be there for your friend wanting to be there for your brother is more important than say any kind of like personal feelings you might have had towards the live audience. So I'm just doing my thing, being there for him, Malik's being there for him. And then he's reciprocating that with us. So yeah, I know I've probably not endeared myself to the crowd over the years and maybe said some things that aren't of a, uh, shall we say nice variety, but, uh, yeah, I think now more importantly than anything, it's just all about doing what you can to be a good person and be a good friend. And at the end of the day, I've, Robbo's been there for me over the years and now it's my turn to do something good for him. So how frustrating is it, as you say, that, that you want to be there for him, that it's been kind of your idea to put Manic and Paul together? 
And ever since the kind of uh, tag team started, it's clobbering time where it looked for all parts and purposes that perhaps Malik was going to attack Paul from behind, but he actually gave him a big hug. And on the big screen, you did your uh, talk to Paul, let him know that you want the best for him, that you want to find his prettiest title and that you want Malik and Paul to form a tag team. How frustrating has it been that ever since it's clobbering time, Paul Robinson hasn't won a match? I mean... It's frustrating enough, but you bringing it up doesn't make me feel any better. <laughs> um, <laughs> bloody hell. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, we're going straight for it. So, yeah, I mean, it's not good. At the end of the day, wins and losses do matter. So we're not happy that they're on a bit of a bit of a losing streak at the moment. Paul and Malik have had two tag matches so far. Haven't won either of them. Paul, unfortunately, got upset by Tate Mayfair's a few weeks ago. But... At the end of the day, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. So no one's going to be talking in a few months' time when Malik and Paul are the Progress Tag Team Champions. No one's going to be talking about, oh, do you remember when they lost those couple of matches? No, they're going to be talking about, oh, my God, this is the greatest tag team in the history of Progress Wrestling, in the history of British wrestling. They're going to be talking about that because I do believe that deep down in my heart. I wouldn't have sent over that video. Listen, at the time that that video got aired, I was out in Cyprus celebrating a very big and important family wedding. I was out there as well for um, a memorial service for my grandfather, God rest his soul. But I would not have taken the time out of my day to send a video like that if it wasn't truly important to me. And that, that, that's what this is going to keep coming down to. A lot of people in wrestling refer to each other as like the old Hulk Hogan thing, fucking calling each other brother. You know what I mean? Like, it's wonderful. Good for you. Like, you're, you're into the lingo. For us, if I call you my brother, you're my brother. And that's it. Like, your family, hands down. And if I'm taking the time out of like a really important family thing out in the motherland to send a video in to tell you this is what we need to be doing, then I can guarantee you that's the right thing to do. Does it look like it's been the right thing to do so far? Maybe to the untrained eye, no. But give it time. You watch. I, I guarantee you, you'll all be. Everyone will be proven wrong. This is gonna happen. The tag teams get in there. It, even the the strides they made from that first tag team match to the second tag team match, where you could see that suddenly they've developed like a couple of tag team moves. They're developing a flow. Even afterwards, when we spoke to uh, when we spoke to the progress cameras backstage, and they were asking how we were feeling about the match and everything. Robbo was not the same Robbo that he was after the first match. After the first match, Correct. he was yep. he was pissed off with Malik. He didn't understand what was going on. By the second match, Robbo himself said it. This is feeling like a tag team. So the fact that they lost, and I know I just said wins and losses don't matter, but in this case, the loss really doesn't matter that much because they're starting to feel it. They're hitting their groove already, and it's only been two matches. You see where they're at after three or four or five, and I guarantee you, guarantee you, everyone will just be talking about how amazing this tag team is. So two more questions about Paul. Number one, uh, he obviously was in a world-famous tag team with the aerial assassin Will Ospreay as the Swords of Essex. Obviously, <laughs> obviously a named tag team. At the moment, they're... They're just going by Paul Robinson and Malik. Do you have any names in mind for the future? I've put a little bit of thought into it. We're just kind of waiting, like I said, for them to hit that groove to really come up with something. Malik has pitched a couple of ideas. I'll be honest with you, I love Malik to death. Like He, he truly is my brother and my very best friend on the planet. But 
creativity as far as naming moves has never been his strong suit. Okay. Can you give any so, examples of, of uh, said um, creative? Yeah, so, so his finish is the running knee or the pump knee, whatever you want to call it. And he was trying to come up with a name for it. And he told me, this is back in like 2016, I was in a car with him and Kip Sabian. And he told us that his finish was going to be called the Your Dead Knee, to which we <laughs> responded by just laughing and telling him that was the worst name for a move I've ever heard. And then in the end, after a, a bit of talking and whatever, we end up helping come up with a few different options and probably heard it on commentary. It's now known as the Chutney. Um, yes. It's, got that little, that, it's sweet, but it's got that little bit of spice to it. It's a beautiful like it. thing. Like it. But, um, it's definitely better than Your Dead Knee. Yeah, yeah, exactly. At one point, it was called the Juicy Knee, but that was because uh, Juventud Guerrero, who was over nice. for Lucha Britannia at the time, he was doing some training with us, and he saw Malik do it, and he really liked it, so he started using the move, and he named ah, it the Juicy nice. Knee. Nice, yeah. Um, but uh, I was like, no, you can't call it the Juicy Knee. You know, that's uh, that's Hoovy's version, so you got to do your <laughs> version. So the name, when it is uh, mentioned to the rest of the world, it's going to come from your mouth, and maybe well, Paul, yeah, but not, but, but so not Malik's. Yeah, so what I was kind of saying was that he's actually had a couple of ideas. And so obviously you mentioned uh, Robbo and um, Will were known as the Swords of Essex. Well, Malik's not from Essex. And Malik thinks that if you're going to name a tag team after a weapon, it should be something that can do a bit more damage than a sword. So Malik thought they should be the Bazookas of London. The Bazookas of London. Yeah, that was Malik's big idea. He also had the Nukes of London. But okay. Again, like there's, he's just basing this off of other names. So this is where I'm saying that the create the mind for the business is there, and the mind for beating the holy hell out of people is there. But unfortunately, when it comes to creative thinking, yeah, that's not his strong suit. Yeah, yeah. I can only imagine what's going to happen if he manages to have a child one day, because I (laughs) I dread to think what craziness he's going to give that child as a name. As long as it's not, you know, something like double jeans or something terrible like that. Uh, with Malik, you can you never know. He's, <laughs> he's a crazy human being. I've We could do a whole podcast on just me telling you crazy Malik stories and one episode would not be enough. <laughs> We're definitely doing that for episode 200. Um, yeah. <laughs> second question about poor Malik. Obviously, Costa, you had a bit of a stable previously in progress. And at the moment, it's just you, Paul and Malik. What's happened to the rest of the lads? Okay, so a little bit of a correction. I wouldn't refer to that as a stable. Again, I keep going back to it, but that was family. So that's the 265 OGs that you're alluding to. Only a few of which you ever actually got to see. Because the two, basically the 265 was the number of the venue known as the Resistance Gallery, which is where me, Malik, Paul even, uh, and all of those boys and so many other people like Will all cut our teeth in the Resistance Gallery uh, under the training of the London School Lucha Libre, being on shows like Lucha Britannia as well. So much went on in that building that like ties were just kind of formed to each other and we we all became family. So when the opportunity arose that Malik was going to have this big match last year and he needed some, you know, backup or people to come out with him, there was only like certain people who were going to get that phone call. So we called up the boys. We called up guys like Road Fam, BB, 
do-rag who got really over with the crowd just yes, by walking big time. with us, which was mental. If you all <laughs> knew him, you'd never cheer for him because he's just a, <laughs> just a miserable person. No, I, <laughs> I love him, really. He's wonderful. Um, do-rag was a big hit on the podcast, I must admit. Okay, that's good. Well, he's great. He's a great guy. He's just, uh, he has a hard time, how can I put this, integrating with certain members of the group okay. uh, and family. So like Malik and Roadfam don't fully trust him. Okay. They think he's an undercover cop. <laughs> I don't really understand why. I don't see it, but maybe he is, maybe he isn't. I again, I don't think so. I, I'm not that stupid that I'd let an undercover police officer into our ranks. But, but yeah, no, the boys are still around. They're all doing their thing. Road fam's just constantly hustling. Um, we actually made a documentary. Um, there's two episodes of it out now on YouTube and Instagram. I've, I've watched so. it. It's great. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, it's called Allergic to Losing for anyone out there who wants to go check it out. Kind of made similarly in the similar sort of style to like The Office or People Just Do Nothing. But yeah, it's just us, you know, doing stuff. So go check it out. You can get yeah. more of a understanding into each of us as people. And uh, yeah, it's good fun. But yeah, they're still around. Do Rag, what's he up to these days? He is, he's just out there. He's just out there doing his thing, doing whatever we tell him to do. He's a bit There's of a that amazing photo that, that I did the rounds where he gets hit by Akin Fenwa and he's kind of like vertically up head first. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll be honest with you. I still don't think he's fully recovered from that. <laughs> Um, yeah, that was, that was a bit painful for him, but he's a good lad. He, you know, he was back at work like the next day, not because he wanted to, but because, you know, I don't pay him to sit there. Well, I don't really pay him at all, but that's neither here. <laughs> um, that's just the British wrestling way. Um, <laughs> Very good. No, come on now. Uh, no, shade. Um, but, um, yeah, all those boys are good. And actually one that I can't believe I forgot to mention, one of my oldest and longest friends, a guy by the name of Big G, uh, who came out with us he's just phenomenal yeah all the boys are great and there's so many more of them out there like you asked earlier about a ta potential tag team name literally the 265 ogs could be that tag team name because Definitely. paul robinson like he wasn't trained by the london school of lucha libre but he was one of the original members of the roster for lucha britannia he cut his teeth and really kind of found himself i guess being a part of those shows and then Will Ospreay as well came up in there. So Will's a member of the 265 OGs, whether he knows it or not. You know, <laughs> anyone who came up in that era or in that building, yeah, the 265 OG through and through. Greg Burridge, another like he was the head trainer. Gary Vanderhorn was the other trainer. Like there's so many people. Were that, you yeah. part of the Greg Burridge film that he was in? Uh which one? He's been in a lot of films. He's the, made two the like black and white one that Will and Paul are also in. No. So I started training there, I think, either while they'd already started filming that or just after. I'm actually in the second film he made, uh, which I haven't actually seen yet. I don't think to my knowledge, it hasn't been released yet, the second one. But he did. He made. Yeah, Greg's brilliant because he's he saw re pro wrestling. And when the training you get for this, you can translate to film. I mean, I know other people probably are already aware of that now because there's a lot of that now, like. I know Chavo Guerrero does a lot of that out yeah. in the States, but Greg spotted this from like, literally from the day I started training, I remember Greg always talking about, you know, these aren't just skills that you can learn for pro wrestling. You can take these skills and go be a stunt man or go be something in Hollywood, whatever, you know, whatever it is you want to do. 
and he does a lot of that style of training as well within his training school. And um, yeah, he then went on and wrote like a script, shot his own film completely on his own independently and yeah. then made the film. And then it got put out in, uh, I'm pretty sure it got put out in some cinemas. It was on like Amazon Prime as well. Yeah, it's on, yeah it was on Prime. It's quite infamous in our group of friends to stick that on at a, a after party and drunkenly watch that. <laughs> yeah it's, no, it's probably like you know what it is right so i i watched it when it come out and i was just like this is just proper like british like london yeah yeah stuff. Pretty. It, just, it reminded me of like if british wrestling did snatch yeah yeah i like it yeah and that's what i love about greg man like he, he wanted to do something and he just went and did it and yeah man hats off to him so and i'll give him a quick plug here as well like Anyone out there who wants to go and learn to wrestle, go check it, go hit up Greg Burridge. Burridge Fight Designs, the new school now. Unfortunately, uh, the London School Lucha Libre is gone since the Res Gal's no longer there. But he does training down in Walthamstow. And I'm not, I feel like he does it in some other places, but give a give him a look up on social media and you'll find all the details there. Burridge Fight Design. Yes, the Res Gal holds a firm place in our hearts. Is uh, That's actually where I held my stag to. Oh, wow. Okay. What, what did you go and see at the Res Gal for your stag? Uh, so it was the day of the New Japan show at um, Bethnal Green. So we did uh after party there and then watched the all-in. Ah, uh, so you, uh, you did the Osprey's after party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was I was there for that. Good fun. Good fun. Yeah, I, I don't remember most of it. <laughs> Same. <laughs> <laughs> So, without any further ado, let's get stuck into the investigation that you're currently under as Detective Costa. You've obviously been online and you've um, outed people that you feel may potentially be responsible for taking the Pateus title, which I think has been missing from Robbo's grasp for almost two, three years now, right? Is that right? Yeah, quite. it's quite a while. So the last time Robbo would have been holding the Proteus Championship would have been pre-pandemic. So it's been quite a while. And yeah, I, I knew I knew for a while that as soon as Robbo got announced as coming to progress like a few months back, I knew it's only going to be a matter of time before he wants that Proteus title back. Yeah, I, I knew that he'd want that. And I knew that the best way to do that, rather than kind of going in hot, like, you know, Robbo can do because he's a little <laughs> bit of a hothead. You know, I, I seem to surround myself in hotheads, like Robbo and <laughs> very angry people. But um, yeah, I knew he'd be very angry and probably say all the wrong things and, you know, upset a lot of the wrong people. So I figured, you know what, let me help my friend, let me help my guy out and I'll handle the business from the back. I'll try and talk to management, try and talk to all the right people and get this thing figured out. Unfortunately, it's turning out to be a little more difficult than I initially thought because it turns out progress management aren't as clever as I thought they were. I thought, uh -oh. you know, I thought they would have CCTV in their offices at least. Turns out they didn't invest in that until after the uh, the belt was stolen. So yeah, yeah, a little bit difficult. I we did an interrogation interview with one of the custodians of Progress Wrestling, Mr. Lee McAteer, and yeah, he 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 gave us nothing. Like he was, <laughs> he was he was about as useful as fart in church. Like it was just, it, it, <laughs> he gave me no information and it just ended with him threatening to stop booking us. So I was like, okay, maybe we don't, uh, maybe we don't bother you anymore. It's been and unfortunately for you, similar investigations have taken place and it seems as if all come to a dead end. You've accosted the likes of 
Michael Oku, someone that hasn't been in progress for, for a while, but of course was in progress when Paul would have not had his title. So that was wise, but it seems as if he wasn't a suspect in the end. And uh, Well, for me, it's not that he's not a suspect anymore. Everyone's guilty until proven otherwise. Correct. I'm, I don't believe in all this uh, all this PC crap about innocent until proven guilty. It's the other way around. Everyone is guilty until you can prove that you're not, and he hasn't done that yet. There's a lot of people, a lot of people who we've kind of... So my approach to this is very simple. Throw some mud at the wall and see what sticks, right? Got it, yeah. So let's figure out, let's figure this thing out. If I suggest, say, that... Michael Oku has the belt. Let's see how he responds to that. Because you can tell a lot about whether or not someone's lying by the way they respond or, you know, things like that. And their CPF, another example, like I've, I've accused them quite a few times and they seem to be taking like the very childish approach and throwing shade back at us. And I, I they get are young. that. They are yeah, very they're, young. they're young and dumb and yeah, just idiots. But anyway... <laughs> Um, I must admit that after watching the uh, Super Strong Style Six Man, I think Joe Lando might be the prime suspect because Paul gave out some pretty <laughs> big hits to Joe Lando in particular in that match. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. Joe Lando um, is a very talented individual, but unfortunately, the youth of today are known for having sticky fingers. And <laughs> it wouldn't shock me at all to find out that he stole the belt out of a anger from the absolute pasting he got from Paul Robinson <laughs> and B out of jealousy because let's face it what happened on that show their their best buddy Callum Newman who again another person who whether they are aware of it or not is a 265 OG Callum Newman on that show decided that being a close personal friend wasn't as important as being from Essex so you know, at the end of the day, it is what it is. But maybe, yeah, they, they've they got motive. They've got motive to want to upset Paul. They so, have a motive. And they haven't been seen in progress for a while. So maybe they're steering clear because of it. Yeah, the maturity level in the locker room has gone way up since they've not been there, though. So it's been wonderful. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. At the moment, there's a few people. There's some people who I've not even I've not even gone for yet on social media who, who are in the frame. But, you know, we're biding our time. I know Paul's a little bit impatient and kind of wants to just go in guns blazing on everyone. But that was why I, I said to him, look, the Tate Mayfair situation, for example, Tate was goading us. And there was a big part of me that did think, I'm not sure if he's actually got this belt. I think there is a lot of this is mind games with him trying to just mess with Paul because he knows he's got a match coming up. But yeah. I said to him, I was like, look, at the end of the day, regardless of whether he's got the belt or not, he's being an ass. So interrogate him physically and let's just see what happens. Yeah, yeah. Well, Tate is an antagonist at heart, isn't he? So it wouldn't surprise me if he's done he something. And I, it was interesting because I, I watched that show back. I was Unfortunately, I was unable to be at that show. But I did watch it back. And Malik, good Lord, someone let that man on commentary. <laughs> yes. Um, and he, he said a couple of things that were interesting to me. And I don't know how if everyone really picked up on it, but I, I noticed he did say something. He gave some interesting insight into Tate Mayfair's that I didn't know about. Apparently, he's adopted yeah, it's just weird. And apparently he spent a lot of time in a Romanian prison. But again, I don't... Malik's an interesting dude. <laughs> well, there's something for you to delve as your uh, uh, work moves forward in this search for the prettiest title. Is there anyone that you've met backstage who's given off a sense of being kind of wary of being around you? And has that handed you perhaps a reason to think that they're a suspect? 
I mean, truth be told, everyone's a little bit wary of being around us, but it's really not me. It's Malik. Like people don't want to piss him off because he's nuts. Like if you breathe a little bit wrong in his direction, he might try and bite your face off. Um, (laughs) It's weird because for years, Robbo was known as this like kind of crazy guy who, you know, you don't want to upset him backstage because he'll again, bite your face off. But I'd say the past few years of, I don't want to say mellowed him out because you've seen him in the ring. He's still that guy. Absolutely, but, yeah. But backstage, when you put him with Malik, I think Malik is so batshit crazy that Paul kind of realises he has to pull back and almost big brother him. I've noticed it a lot being around them. You'll see it a lot, I think, in like some of the videos that are out there now. And yeah, who would have thought it? Robbo, the voice of reason, trying to calm someone else wow, down. Yeah. It's mad. Like The <laughs> dynamic is very unique. And I think it's... Malik's probably the only human being alive that can make Robbo look like a sane, functioning human being. Yeah. And we've got some interesting folk coming through the doors in progress in the next few months. Obviously, we've got unboxing coming up where we don't know who's behind the curtain, apart from Tate and Simon Miller, two people that you've already made suspects, and they've both made the reasons as to why it's not them. Some interesting people, though. We've got Grizzled Young Veterans coming in January, people who've wrestled Paul previously in the past, I'm sure potentially got some bad blood there. Then you've got Dr. Wagner Jr., an interesting character coming over. And the ECW legend that is Masato Tanaka coming over. Plus we've got Brian Keefe and the returning Casey Navarro. So is there any of the international folk that you think potentially have taken the title? So as far as grizzled young veterans go, I don't, I mean, I'm very familiar with their work, but I've never really had too much interaction with them over the years. But I do know... That Malik is very untrusting towards scousers. Okay. So, you know, not to be, you know, I've got nothing against scousers, big Abby Clancy fan. Um, but what reference? Anyway, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Malik, if you actually watch the second episode of our documentary, Allergic to Losing, Malik does like, I'll actually know, apologies, it's not in that episode. There's a there's bonus footage that's yet okay. to come out where Malik does do a Scouse accent and it's, yeah, he's not good at impressions. I'll put it that <laughs> way. Um, but yeah, no, I don't necessarily think they're behind it. I know they've not been around for a while, so I don't know when they would have had the opportunity to do it. Does that rule them out? No, because as I said, guilty till proven innocent. Yeah. Masato Tanaka. Now that's uh, that would be interesting if it turns out he flew himself all the way from Japan to steal a belt that he probably at the time hadn't heard of. Would be a, that would be a plot. What twist. a plot twist! Yeah, I don't know. That'd be interesting. I I'll definitely ask him. I don't know him well enough to know if he speaks uh, English very well, so uh, it might make for a difficult conversation. I might have to call up Callum. He's out in Japan now. He can get someone to. <laughs> Even if it's not him that took the title, if you could use your business contacts to potentially make Tanaka uh, wrestle Paul in some kind of extreme match, that would be all kinds of fun for everyone. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, Tanaka's a he's another one. He's one of them guys who's just like he's nuts. Like I've I've been watching <laughs> Tanaka matches for for years, and he's yeah, it makes me re- when I watch like Tanaka or even Paul or Malik, like and the way they all hit each other and the way they do so, it's made me really glad that I've traded in my wrestling gear for a suit. <laughs> I just watch and I'm like, oh man, I'm 31 now and it all just hurts so much more. Like, nah, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, last question on being a detective. 
what sort of style would you say you are in terms of someone who's a famous person who tracks someone down? Would you say that you're someone a bit more Sherlock Holmes type? Or would you say you're more Gareth Keenan type? Or, or would you say you're more kind of Matthew, oh, what's his name from True Detective? Okay, so this person is not a detective, but just in the terms of the way they carry themselves and uh, the style and everything. If you took, say, Marlon Brando's Godfather. Of course, yeah. Crossed him with a detective like, say, Jack Branning from EastEnders. Oh, great. Yeah, because he's got the same nice brown jacket as I have. So, you know, he's copying, <laughs> yeah. copying yeah. the Don, but it's neither here nor there. Yeah, if you cross them over together, then you get the Don, Gostar, yeah. Gostar, you know. And yeah, I, I definitely think me and uh, me and old Jackie Brannan, we got uh, we got very similar styles. He's not afraid to get down and dirty and bend the law a little bit to get what he needs. He is actually the third best Branning brother, though. Just going off topic completely there, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Talking way. about um, Albert Square, mm. have you questioned Charles Crowley, who's uh, stepped on those? I, <laughs> I, I have. I I called him out on Twitter, and he did respond. Not sure how I feel. It's weird because it's one of those things where it's definitely something someone like him could do because he's he's a, a cheeky little bugger. He's a cheeky yeah, little he's bugger. A cheeky little bugger. I don't know what the language parameters are on your show, so I won't say what he refers to himself <laughs> as. But he is that, and yeah, it wouldn't it wouldn't shock me to learn he did something like this. But as well, there's no there's no motive there. So for me, it's not that he's innocent, but it's just he's lower down on the list. I'd say right now. But again, he's the type of person that would shock you and wouldn't even need a, a real motive to do something like that. So I don't know. It's uh, yeah, I'm definitely going to look into him a little bit more. Yeah. Well, there's like I said, there's a few people who who have kind of been under the radar a little and are probably sitting at home being like, oh my god, I'm so glad you know they haven't come for me yet. But trust me, we're coming for you. You just don't know about it yet. I love it. Well, from us at Wrestling Should Be Fun, please, please, please keep posting about it on your socials because it's great fun and we're really enjoying the experience. Well, we're, we're not having fun. I don't know why you're smiling about this. This is a, a serious <laughs> investigation. Somebody's physical property. If this hadn't happened in wrestling, this is what's baffling to me about pro wrestling. If this hadn't happened in the world of pro wrestling, the police would have been called. There'd be fingerprint identification. So I'm having to kind of go rogue on this and, you know, be a lone detective and figure this out with like Lieutenant Malik. But uh, yeah, I don't know. People are giggling and having a field day about this. And I'm like, well... No, if I snuck into your house and stole your Hugo Boss belt, then you'd be fuming. You'd, you know, you'd pull the rosers on me. <laughs> okay, so last last question on this, and it's something that I know might get a little bit of a um, residency from you. Obviously, uh, with investigations, sometimes there's a bit of an inside job going on. There has been murmurs, a little bit of smoke, that potentially Malik and yourself might well be the people that held this title at the moment. Thoughts on that? Why would we? Do you know how much time and energy I've put into trying to find this belt? I've lost sleep over this belt. I've woke up in hot sweats, having nightmares, thinking about information I might have missed. And I, this is the thing. This is where like wrestling fans can be really annoying. And this is why I say I haven't changed that much because as much as you know, I'm happy to come along for the ride and be like a quote unquote good guy. I guess whatever you want to call it, and get a cheer here and there. But for me, I, I'm very true to myself and true to the knowledge that I have of pro wrestling. And the, the main thing I've taken away from this over the years is wrestling fans can be very fickle and they want to quickly jump on this. Like, like you just said, like it's pro wrestling and 
there's no smoke without fire and blah 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 but again like this is this is real life for us i've put so much time and effort into trying to find this belt why why would i have it and not just give it to him like i said he's my brother he's my best pal like if i had it i'd give it to him i don't have any reason to have it malik has no reason to have it all of this stuff it's all just conspiracy and I, again, I, the fact that I'm even acknowledging this, is it's ridiculous. It's so stupid. And this is the first and last time I'll talk about that, because quite honestly, I'm, yeah, I'm a little bit insulted by that question. Understood, understood. So let's move along to Costa Constantino, the person and the wrestler. So you've been known, obviously, as a bit of a promo guy, someone that does promos in the British scene, something that isn't necessarily known for the British scene. It's more kind of match followed by match, and there's not too many promos, whereas you're definitely now known as the promo guy. Who um, has inspired you on the mic? It's weird, because like I remember growing up as a kid watching wrestling, the the I, I i don't know if you can tell but like as you said i'm a bit of a mic guy and like my the characters who i love and that was it for me characters i grew up in that attitude era so for me it was the matches were all really short if you remember the attitude yeah. era really well and it was like you never really left going oh my god that was a five-star match between the rock and austin you left going oh my god rock austin that was amazing like the star ratings and all that stuff didn't matter because all that mattered was the build up to it and the way they would talk to each other on a microphone and so on. So for me as a kid, my favorites were the guys who could talk. So the rock stone cold, Steve Austin, I'm trying to think of all the guys that I really like the Godfather I thought was amazing on a mic. I, it's very like the road dog. I, that, yeah. All these guys who like were just great. They had their shtick. Like they had their like one or two things that they would say pretty much every time, but Every once in a while, they'd say something else. You'd be like, oh, but they are really good because, yeah, okay, they're, they're doing their same old shtick, but that's just because the crowd, that if if they don't do that, the crowd are going to leave really disappointed because you've paid yeah. your money to go and hear that. You want to hear like The Rock do if you smell what The Rock is cooking. So if he came out and did all new stuff every time, you'd be, be like, oh, where's the catchphrase or whatever? Yeah. So that was what I loved as a kid. As I grew old, a bit older and started watching like a bit more old school stuff as well, that's where I started watching like, different kinds of mic work so like the rock for me is very like heavy character like a lot of catchphrases stuff like that and i loved it still love it to this day but then as i got older i really started loving rick flair roddy piper but roddy yeah. piper especially is my guy if i could one day be like a fraction as good as what roddy piper was then i'll die a happy man because Roddy Piper, for my money, is the greatest heel in the history of pro wrestling and the greatest mic man in the history of pro wrestling. No one could make an audience like hate you that much as well as Roddy Piper could. To the point that I remember when like I first started in wrestling, like <laughs> as ridiculous as it sounds, the dream was that if I became a villain or whatever, the dream for me was always get so much anger from that crowd that someone comes for you. That's what wow. I want. Wow. I want people trying to because I'll, I'll be honest with you there's a good chance I might get my ass kicked like it's, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not what you would call like a a large strong individual but I don't care like when I'm in that moment and you know the the lights are on and the mic's in my hand like I'm gonna say and do whatever I can to get you to like really feel something and I've, I've come close a few times there's been a couple of occasions where uh, I've been 
I wouldn't say attacked, but I've definitely been hit by members of the audience or yeah. there's been a few where they've attempted to hit. Um, Maybe that's where your uh, love of Paul Robinson came from because the first few shows that I went to, I remember being absolutely petrified of Paul Robinson. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was petrified of Paul when I first met him. I remember... I remember, so I remember knowing of Paul from the Lucha days where he was, he was a good guy. He was like the high flyer Leon Britannico. But I remember being in a car with uh, Tom Dawkins, Cara Noir, uh, who I'd traveled with for like 10 years now. And I remember him saying to me, he'd, he'd just done a show where Paul, I think, had uh, gone villain. And he was like, this guy's just incredible. If you thought he was good as a, as a good guy doing all the flips and stuff, wait till you see him. And I remember seeing him for the first time and I was like, oh my God. This guy just gets it. Yeah. This is obviously, you know, you look at him, there's that initial thing from an audience member where you look at Paul and you go, he's so small, boy. he's like, you know, he's angry, but like it's comical almost for like a second. And then he really gets going you're like, oh shit, like, yeah, I want to screw with it. He's that angry little guy on every night out you ever go on who's just always looking for a fight. Yeah. Just because you like accidentally brushed past him a little too much. And my biggest analogy for Paul is I refer to him as for any video game fans out there. Paul Robinson is the Trevor Phillips of British professional wrestling. I don't know who Trevor Phillips is. Who is he? Trevor Phillips was one of the main uh, characters from Grand Theft Auto Five. Okay, okay. He was a hillbilly kind of guy and an unsavory character, shall we okay. say? And <laughs> Paul is basically Trevor Phillips. I once went to a uh, Chaos Pro Wrestling show in Bristol. And the first match was between, I think it was Ginny and Danny Luna. And there was a guy in the front row that was getting particularly mouthy with the wrestlers in the ring. And in second out for the second match was Paul Robinson, who must have either witnessed this backstage or been told about it as the two women came back through the curtain. And he just went straight for this guy. And trust me, he didn't say anything in the show afterwards. <laughs> Yeah, no, I've I've seen yeah I've seen Paul really get in the face of some people, and I, it baffles me because some of them read, they'll give it back to him, and I'm like, I know you might think you can take him, but Paul will he will chew your nose off like and just laugh about it like get out of his face. <laughs> yeah, uh, some guy, some guy. Um, so let's move on to fan interactions. What's the most memorable fan interaction that you've had as a wrestler or a business mogul now? I mean, I kind of alluded to it there. I think, I think. Uh, so I remember when me and Malik first started teaming together, we were first made a tag team actually by Ricky Knight up in WAW of the famous Knight family. And Ricky, he kind of put us together on a whim. Like we were there at a show together and he just was like, he didn't know. I think Matt, it was Malik's maybe second time up there and he didn't know what to do with him. So he just said to me, I oh, will put you guys as a tag team for now, whatever. And then that first match we had, there was just something there straight away. So we're like, okay, let's try and do this. And then a few couple of months later, we did like some holiday camps for him. And then it all ended up the last day that we were there. We went and did like one of their big shows in Great Yarmouth. And at this point, this would have been our biggest match as a tag team. They put us on with the UK hooligans, Zach and Roy Knight. And we'd never wrestled them before. I'd been watching Zach and Roy for years at this point. So I was like really nervous because I've admired them for a while and I know how good they are. I'm like, man, this is going to be a test. But as far as the fan interaction bit goes so we were backstage 
And before we went out to the ring, somebody, a heel had gone out and they had ripped us like these group, this family were there and they brought like some homemade signs for some reason to the show. And one of the wrestlers decided to take the girl's sign and rip it into pieces in front of her. And she was crying her eyes out to the point that her family were fuming, demanding some kind of action. So the Knights, bless their heart, gave them some free merch and, you know, made them somewhat happy. After that happened, I was backstage and I believe it was Soraya Knight. She came backstage and told everyone, right, these girls have signs. We've made them happy now, but no one touched the signs. Uh-oh. Malik decides, <laughs> who, bearing in mind, Malik was in the toilet when this conversation was happening. He came out, asked what had just happened. I told him and he went, well, she didn't tell me. Oh, God. So I was like, no, Malik, don't do it. Don't be that guy. And we go out. Malik decides to grab the girl's sign and rip it. The whole family lunge towards him. He runs away and comes and hides behind me and goes, you got my back. I'm like, absolutely not. No, <laughs> I'm sorry. I do not have your back. The match then carries on. And then all of a sudden, at one point, like I'm choked, like Malik's got the referee distracted in the ring with Zach. I'm choking Roy on the ropes. And I just feel this thud just hit me in the back and it really hurt. And I was like, I'm like doing the maths. I'm like, you're here. You're, you're both there. Like, who was that? And I just turn around and there's this fan and he's hit me. And I was like, well, hang on a minute. <laughs> and I'm, Malik will tell you, I'm like the least like confrontational in a, in the physical form as it can get. But for some reason, the adrenaline was pumping in the heat of that moment. I shoved that guy on his ass as hard as I could. <laughs> and j- bef- thankfully for me, because he was a lot, he was a fairly large dude. And I was like, if he gets up, I'm going to die. <laughs> like, <laughs> He's going to kill me. Like, what was I thinking? And then thankfully for me, like a bunch of like the local students like jumped on him and chucked him out. But uh, yeah, that was, that was an interesting one getting hit by a fan. I hadn't had that before that point. So that was like, kind of, like I said earlier, that was like the dream for me. It was like getting that Roddy Piper level of yeah hate from the crowd. Love it. Love it. Thanks for sharing the story. Um, yeah, no problem, man. <laughs> so three more questions. First one, you mentioned that you trained in the res gal to be an actual wrestler. And obviously that's something that you're not doing currently. What was it that made you change from wanting to be part of the business, but not in the ring? So I'm, I'm very, I'm a very self-aware kind of person. Like I know what my strengths are. I know what my weaknesses are. Now I'm not going to sell myself short. I've always thought I was decent in the ring. At one point I thought I was pretty good, but then the pandemic basically hit. And I was kind of already slowing down a little bit before the pandemic. Not, I don't know. It was just weird. Like some, we did like a series of shows. I was like, you know what? I just, I want to have like a little bit of not, I didn't have time off, but I just slow down on how many bookings I'm actually trying to get. Not that I was getting like a huge amount anyway, but it was just that thing of like, I'd, I'd been doing it for nearly 10 years at that point. And I was like, I just want to chill for a little bit. And then the pandemic hit. So that everyone just basically had no choice but to chill. And then I don't know, so a few things happened during like that two years that kind of made me lose my love for pro wrestling as a whole. I hadn't fully because I, I know me like that. It's my one. It's the one thing I've always been like, that's my passion. Okay. Like from when I was a little kid, people would be like, what do you like? Because all the kids at school, like they all played football. I hated football, hate it with a passion. Don't find it interesting. You know, I just find men getting paid way too much money to kick a ball and pretend to be hurt is <laughs> just pointless. It's just like, what? where's the entertainment in this? I'm going to sit here for 90 minutes. But anyway, I'm, I'm going on. <laughs> <laughs> I could do a whole podcast on my football. 
But um, <laughs> but yeah, so uh, but me, I was just the kid. I was like, everyone else would be like, oh, you know, we watch football. I'd be like, well, I watch wrestling. And they'd be like, the first thing, like, I'm sure you've had it as a wrestling fan as well. Oh, you know, it's fake. And it's yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah. God, like, <laughs> you don't say, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we understand what it is now. It's entertainment. It's fine. I like being entertained. So that was it for me. And then, sorry, that's really off topic there. But anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, so I kind of lost my passion for it a bit. And I just decided, you know what? I I don't want to do it anymore. I've had a wonderful 10 years. My I only ever had one goal when I started pro wrestling. And that was to have a match in a ring in front of a crowd. And I got to do that after, I think, about a year of training. I think I had my first ever match. Loads of my family were there. And I remember after that match saying to like one of my, my mate, Big G, I said to him, I was like, I don't know what drugs feels like, but if this is what taking drugs feels like, I get it. I get yeah, why yeah. people do it because this is the biggest rush I've ever felt in my life. Like I've never felt any higher than I do right now. And I'm lucky in the sense that I've been able to do some really amazing stuff. Like I won't start listing stuff, but like there's just been so many things. That I think if you'd have told me that I'd get to do when I was like, even when I was as young as like 16, I'd have been like, okay, sure. Yeah, yeah. But it's been great. But then, yeah, I I just kind of decided, you know what, enough's enough now. I don't I don't want to keep doing that. Do you but still then, get the rush from doing what you're doing now? Well, yeah. Well, this is the interesting thing. So after I'd kind of decided I didn't want to do anything anymore in wrestling, I didn't want to wrestle commentary, nothing. Then I had two of my closest friends, obviously Malik. And then I mentioned him earlier, Tom Dawkins, who Tom was the first one to ever teach me how to do anything in wrestling. He was already training at the school I started at. And he taught me my first thing, which was how to bump. And we've been traveling together pretty much for 10 years ever since. And I remember talking to both of them like every day. And I was like, no, I'm done. I'm done. And then Tom was basically the one who went to progress and said to them, like, this guy, he's really good on a mic. You should get him in. He, I think he was pitching for me to do commentary, but they already had, I think it was Ollie and Hustle Malone at the time. And then Malik was like, well, bring him in and let him manage me. Because they, I don't think they fully really knew what to do with Malik at the time. Okay. They knew he was good, but there wasn't really much character stuff there. So he basically said to them to use me. And then they got in touch with me. And I was like, oh, my God. And I even posted it. i never forget the day that I kind of got the booking with progress just to amuse myself. I posted on my Instagram story um, the gif of Michael Corleone from The Godfather just when I thought I was out. I pulled me back pull in. Pulled me back in. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, to answer your question, like, now that I'm doing it and I'm just on a mic, I honestly, I get such a buzz out of it because it's still that same immediate crowd response to when you do something, except now instead of, you know, you hit a body slam and you wait and like, did the crowd, did they like what they saw? And then you get that reaction. Instead of that, it's like, okay, I've hit this line. And once I say what I'm going to say, I think they're going to react this way. And when you hit it and they do give you what you were expecting, oh, there's no better feeling. Or if, and sometimes like they'll give you like that great reaction for something you're not even expecting. And it's like, yes. oh, wow, okay, that, that I can lean into that more now. So like, I love it. Honestly, there's no better feeling than just that live raw reaction you get from an audience when you've said or done something in the ring. Yeah, absolutely. I always say that progress is probably the place to go and watch stories being told in Britain, at least. And you've got the likes of now Jerry Bakewell being the host, which was another 265. <laughs> there you go. He got fantastic reactions for his hosting job and, and the way that he held the audience there at the Electric Ballroom. You've had the recent promo between Warren Banks and Gene Money. And I think it's so Gene important Money, in wrestling. 265 guy, just so you know. 
<laughs> I just think it's so important in wrestling that it's not just moves in the ring. It's it's stories being told. And I think that you play a massive part in that for progress. And I really hope that you play a big part moving forward as well. No, I appreciate that, man. Like, that's what I love to do. For me, the storytelling aspect of pro wrestling is the best bit. Like I said earlier, I, I grew up watching the Attitude Era. So for me, seeing like these crazy storylines, some of them, obviously, you've got different levels. You've got like your more ridiculous storylines, like just silliness. But then you've also got like these really, really intricate stuff that's like a lot of thoughts been put into. And it's like, it's amazing. So for me, getting the chance to do stuff like that, it's 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 awesome. And I, I'm loving it. And yeah, I just got to try and find this bloody belt for him now. <laughs> Okay, so two last questions. Next up for you in progress is, well, for everyone in progress, we don't know who's booked, is unboxing. Who would you have as your dream match for Malik and Paul to face off in a tag team match? Hmm, okay. Uh, Malik and Paul as a tag team. I would, <laughs> I so I'm a crazy so-and-so, much <laughs> like them, but in a different way. They're crazy in that they'll like rip your nose off if you piss them off. <laughs> I'm like just mentally a bit crazy. I think of things in a way that's like just nuts. So while someone else would be like, oh, I'd book Malik and Paul against, I don't know, like Okada and Kenny Omega, and then they can have a five-star match or whatever. Wonderful. I'm sure that match would be amazing. But what I would like to see is a real good fight. Okay. I, would, I would love to see Paul Robinson and Malik. And I'm only pitching this because me and Malik have done this match and it will be a lot of fun for me to not be in the match and just watch <laughs> it now. But I would like to see Paul Robinson and Malik in a street fight against the UK hooligans, Zach and Roy Knight. Nice. And what I'd also really love from that, the dream scenario there, is me in their corner, the rowdy man Ricky Knight in their corner. That would be fantastic fun. And That's as you say, fun. you guys are family, so it's family versus family. Exactly. You know, and I, I, you know, I don't know how many people are aware of this, but I was actually in the movie about their family. So, really? yeah, I was an extra in fighting with my family. Uh, well, I say an extra. The film was basically all about me. Um, <laughs> but, uh, they just had they did a lot of editing to like, yeah, I don't yeah, know, yeah. the knights threw their toys out the pram. They, they had to make it all about them. I, I don't know. <laughs> But uh, me and me and DJ, uh, that's the rock, by the way, um, <laughs> me and him were like, were like really tight. You know, I, if you scroll through like right way down on my Instagram, when the movie came out, he actually sent me a DM, like just thanking me for all my work. Like, it's on my it's on my thing. Yeah, I'll, I might post proof. it again. That's uh, proof. But yeah, man, me and, me and the big goose, we're, we're tight. Last question for the Wrestling Should Be Fun podcast with the Don Costa Constantino. Who would be your Desert Island wrestler? Someone that you can have their matches, their back catalogue, and only theirs for the rest of your life whilst you live on this desert island. Who's it going to be? I only get one. Only get one. Ooh, okay. So, for example, if you chose Logan Paul, you'd only have, like, four matches. Oh, uh, no, I, I get the game. I get the game. So my all-time favourite pro wrestler, like the guy who, if he wasn't TV every Saturday afternoon on Sky One when SmackDown was on, if he wasn't on TV doing his thing, then I felt robbed because he was my guy, or Scotty Too Hotty. Yes. Scotty Too Hotty is my, like, absolute favourite pro wrestler in the history of the world. I don't know if he's my Desert Island wrestler, purely because as much as I love him, I, I, I like, I like a, I'm trying to think, you know, I'm trying to think of this clever Lily and think of someone who's, like, had so many different kinds of matches and stories and things like that. You would get an awful lot of cool, like, 
um, squash matches from the early nineties because Scott, you'd get Scott that, Taylor you'd did. Also get, you'd also get a lot of really good light heavyweight title matches yep, from like yep. the thousands and tag matches and the worm and all that. But after a while, I feel like the dance would I'm watching that. <laughs> Watching it over and over again might get a little much. So as, as hard as it is for me to say, it might not be Scotty too hotty. Oh. I think I'm gonna have to go with. Okay, I'm gonna but I'm gonna be really Johnny generic here, and okay. based purely off the fact that this person I think has more variety in their style of wrestling than probably anyone else. They've wrestled every kind of opponent. There's always a storyline for the most part in a lot of their stuff. And they're never not entertaining because that's the big one for me. Like, Absolutely. Yeah. You can have five star matches all you want, but bring me some entertainment as well and we'll be laughing. And this guy is all of that and more. And I would go with the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels. Good shout, good shout. I We've could had... watch Shawn Michaels versus Kurt Angle on a, like at least a weekly basis and I wouldn't get bored. Like that's so like that Mania match, like that was unreal. Michaels Jericho at Mania as well. Taker. Like there's, there's so many, and that's just WrestleMania. Like think of yeah. all the other, like there's, there's so much. Then you've got all of his old rockers stuff from the past as well. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Rockers were great. Yeah, there's so much variety with Sean, and then you'd also get like a bit of comedy in there as well through his stuff with DX. Like yeah, there's it, yeah. yeah. Have you ever seen his match at SummerSlam '92 against Rick Martel where they can't hit each other in the face? Yes, yeah, I have. <laughs> so good. Uh, yeah, it's a very <laughs> unique uh, stipulation. I, one that I don't think would work for Malik or Paul. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Get disqualified instantly. Well, Shawn Michaels just pipped Scotty Too Hotty to, to the Desert Island messer. That would have been a first. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'm very upset with myself that I didn't pick him, but I'm, I'm gonna stick with Shawn. And yeah, that's that's just the way it's got to be. Sorry, Scotty, if you're out there listening, but uh, it's fine. Get uh, get me in the ring with you to do the dance, and I'll I'll, I'll switch it up. He is often touring in the UK, isn't he? I know. I'm, I'm, mate. I'm, I'm begging for it. Just someone, please. <laughs> Unboxing. Too hotty. I'll put my boots back on. I'll come wrestle Scotty too hotty. <laughs> Unboxing. I don't care. I'll do it. <laughs> Book it, Lee. There you go. <laughs> okay, so that is uh, episode 118. Wrestling should be fun podcast with myself, Ross Casey, and the Don Costa Constantino. Where can people find you, Costa? Uh, so I'm on the Twitter and the Instagrams. I am at the Costa underscore K. Those are the main two. If you head on to YouTube and look for the 265 OGs or allergic to losing, we are on there. We've got two episodes of our documentary out now. I think that's that's the main ones. Yeah, just follow us on those socials and you'll be able to keep up to date with what is going on with the Proteus Championship. The Don is on and... The hitter ain't a quitter. I'm trying to think of a rhyme for Robbo, but I ain't got one right now. Um, I'll come back to you. You'll come, come back to come us to with progress. that and a tag team name. Yeah, come to progress to find out what my rhyme for Robbo is. We'll get there. <laughs> it's going to be a journey, guys. Thanks so much. This has been Wrestling Should Be Fun. We are on all the social platforms as Wrestling Should Be Fun. Also Twitter, WSBFUN. And don't forget to look after your mates and drink lots of water. See you, pals. <laughs> Wrestling should be fun, should be fun, wrestling should be fun. Wrestling should be fun, should be fun, wrestling should be fun. Wrestling should be fun, should be fun.